It's the funniest thing in churches. I've like we spend all this money on chairs, and then no one wants to sit in the front row. It's like what? Like, could we just put some boxes there, or plants, or something? Uh, we uh, we start our church services at uh, five minutes past ten because we just know, you know, not everyone's as holy as you guys are. No offense to these people. John McFallon, uh, privileged to be the pastor of uh, Christ Sanctuary in uh, Palmerston North, the mighty Manawatu. It's nice to experience some good weather for once. Um, and uh, I am married to uh, Lauren, who's my wife, uh, is home with uh, my son Jack, my daughter Gemma, other daughter Louisa, and uh, might as well do this now, and another one on the way. Um, um, and take this for a dark turn, and uh, one child in glory. And I, I say that, and uh, in many ways, in many circumstances, this is a very personal uh, subject, uh, one of lament and uh, grief. And I wanted to... Uh, to share on this subject uh, for perhaps one person who will benefit and that one person who really need to hear uh, what Psalm 13 has to say. Uh, so please, please turn with me uh, to, to Psalm uh, 13. Uh, I'm going to do something uh, which hasn't happened much of this conference. I'm going to use one text of scripture. <laughs> um, and I'm told we've got an hour and a half before lunch. Um, I'm not going to use it all. My last time I did a seminar here, it went for three hours. Um, most people left, but you know, quite a few people stayed and talked and prayed at the end. And um, I, I, I want to provide a level of time for some of you to, to practice to, to, to stay behind, to stay in your seats, and maybe to stay with a friend, and uh, maybe to, to, to pray, prayers of lament. Right. Why don't we just read our text, and I'll introduce it twice. Eh? How about that? Um, this is the word of the living God. To the choir master, a psalm 
of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the living God. Psalm 13 is one of many, at least about 40 psalms which contain characteristics of what is called lament. And lament is a, it's a word which is found in the secular world. Um, and, and it often can be described as a, a, just a passionate expression of grief, right? A passionate expression of pain, a passionate expression of grief, a passionate complaint. But it's a biblical word as well. There's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. And yet lament is something that we often feel very uncomfortable with. My wife was speaking to someone recently, and it became very clear that they had no category for lament. And they almost felt guilty that they had these feelings, and they didn't quite know what to do with them that it was almost wrong to express them to God. The Bible knows no such thing. There's a book that I want to recommend to you, and there, there are others, and it's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And I understand some of the home groups here at Riverbend Bible Church have actually gone through this, so that's great. And it's by a man whose name I'm probably butchering. His name is Mark Frugop. V-R-O-E-G-O-P. He might be Dutch, he might be South African, who knows. Discovering the grace of lament. So that's what I want to speak on, learning to uh, lament. Now, we've seen this definition of this, this passionate expression of Greek. Mark, I'm going to call him Mark, how about that? Mark describes lament this way. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And so we're going to look at four elements of lament and the lament psalms. I'm not going to touch the book of Lamentations, but I'd encourage you also to, to read that. Uh, and, read. and if we have some time at the end, you know, I'm just going to read some scripture. Uh, so what are some reasons that you or others could have pain or grief that you might want to express to the Lord? Let's get some, I'm deaf, so please, nice and loud. What, what reasons might people have to lament? What sort of situation they're facing? Anyone? Deep of a loved one? Yeah. 
death. Is, yeah. uh, just, just yell, yell them out. Right? What else? Loss of a job. Yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Car accidents. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Loss of a dream. The end of a dream. Yeah. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs. Yeah. What else? The child gone astray. From yeah. Faith. yeah. Yeah. Maybe something that you struggled with, you're struggling with right now. What about that? Like, just blurt it out. Like, just, it's okay. We're, we're friends here. Anyone? <coughs> Knowing that uh, not all your friends are coming with you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, I come to this conference. I come to this conference last night. The first two conversations that I have are about apostasy, walking away from the faith. One of them was a convert under my ministry baptized after I shared the gospel and they professed faith and they walked away. That brings grief. Parents have grief. Brothers and sisters have grief. Pain. Dark nights of the soul. It happens. It's constant for some people. In the midst of what I think was probably one of the best seasons of ministry that we had, people coming to faith, baptizing people, the church was finally going well. I fell into a deep, dark hole occasionally without any notice. Maybe you've experienced that. Some of you live with that. The words of Psalm 88 gave me a prayer. The words of Psalm 13 gave me a prayer. If many of you live with joy and behind you a deep, dark grief that occasionally you stare into, a pain. Do you identify with that? You know what I'm saying. Heads are nodding. The reason why I think some of us struggle, maybe it's out of ignorance, but struggle with the concept of lament, struggle with practicing the discipline of prayers of lament, is that we've wrongly been sold the lie that the Christian life is supposed to be something of a continual, upbeat experience. and triumph, and when our own experiences don't match this idea, we feel like we are fake, and we're living a lie. Thankfully, the good Lord knows that this is not true. He has given us a voice, a language in Scripture 
to bring our pain and our grief to God. And that is what lament is. And the reason I've picked Psalm 13 uh, for us is because it's short, because it's simple, and because it lays out the four stages and four characteristics of lament. And so my hope is that you go home and you can open this up and you have your pain, you have your grief, you, you have your complaint to the Lord and you're able to go to Psalm 13 and remind yourself and be reminded on how to do this. The Psalms are full of laments. 150 Psalms, 40, maybe as many as 50, contain aspects of lament. And these, these should not be um, missing in our, in our worship services. Someone said to me recently, they, they, they came to our church and he said, we felt like your worship services were sometimes a bit of a downer. You talk about pain, you talk about grief, you talk about death, a lot. And then they said, and then we went to three funerals in the last year, and it clicked. Why? Lament allows us to be real with what life is. And it's just being biblical. There are four, four elements of lament in the Psalms. And in Psalm 13, they're found in a linear fashion. One, two, three, four, as you go through. And so that's why it's a model uh, prayer. And it's one of the first uh, prayers in uh, this book. The four elements of this, and I'll, I'll share them again at the end if you want, but it's a, the four elements of lament. Turning to God in prayer. Bringing our complaint asking boldly, and then choosing to trust. Turning to God in prayer, bringing our complaints, asking boldly, and then choosing to trust. First is that turning to God in prayer. That constant refrain throughout the scriptures, throughout the psalm, how long, O Lord? Google that. Search for that phrase. How long, O Lord? See how many times it shows up. It's everywhere in the scriptures. How long, O Lord? O Lord, my God. That's what the psalmist is doing. You cannot skip that first step. Suffering in, in silence and, and, and groaning in silence is something that eats away at us. Right? As one heavy metal band says, silence gets us nowhere fast. True. The psalmist David says, Oh Lord, my God, the, the complaint is directed somewhere. The complaint is directed somewhere who can actually hear and can actually help. The triune God. Mark put it this way, he says, Lamented the honest cry of a hurting heart, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Everyone has pain and grief. But those who send them 
to their God, the triune God, the one true God, are doing something distinctly biblical and distinctly Christian. They're lamenting. And not simply complaining, they're lamenting. They're sending it up to God. The second element of lament is the bringing of complaints. He says, how long, O Lord? And he says, will you forget me forever? Will you, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? You felt that? How long must the, the voice I listen to just simply be the pain in my own soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? There seem to be two main types of complaints in the psalm. The, in the psalm, the first one is that that God, if you, where are you? If you're good, where are you? I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I'm just listening to the voices screaming out of my head and my heart. And then the second type of complaint seems to be if you if you love me, why is this happening to me? One of the reasons why I like Psalm 13 is because both of those complaints are found here in the text. His enemy, whether it's speaking of Saul, whether it's speaking of a Gentile king, appear to be over him. Is, is, is Israel's king being abandoned by God? When we hear David, it's important. It's the, the Messiah. The Messiah's throne will come from this, this line. He says that the king of Israel, is he, is he being punished? Where's the face of God? Where's the goodness? Where's the countenance of God shining down upon him? He feels like his enemies are triumphing. How long must I take counsel on my soul? That other complaint, he's, he's speaking about the, the pain and the sorrow which are flowing out of his heart. And, and that's all he can think about while he's awake. He has an overwhelming sense of dread. Have you felt that? Do you know that? The king of Israel, who had all the, the might, the security, the money, the counselors that he could possibly need, said that. It's okay for you to feel that way. David is concerned about himself. He's concerned about the people around him. He's the king. He's concerned that a, a wicked person is winning. And there's causing him anguish. I find perhaps one of the most shocking verses in all the Psalms is found in Psalm 77, verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Grief can be absolutely vicious. And God knows this. In the scriptures, sympathize with this. So we learn the language of lament. We can 
recognize that the second thing that we ought to do is to bring voice to our complaints. We go to God and we, we, give, we give voice to our complaints. We, we speak. We let them out. It's not just grumbling. It's not just complaining. It's because lament actually leading somewhere. You run into some people just like to complain. They're not looking for any sort of help. They're not looking for the situation to be dealt with. They're just grumbling. Well, this is a useful form of grumbling. It's sending it up to the Lord and it's leading somewhere. The third element of lament is asking boldly. Asking boldly. This is the one that gets left out. It's not just simply sending up your complaint to God. It's asking him to do something with it. Verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You know the concept of a Karen? Right? The concept of a Karen? I want to talk to the manager. Why? Because the manager can actually do something. Right? I understand. We shouldn't malign them so much. (laughs) They got the right idea. Let me talk to the manager. I want to sort this out. Lament complains, but lament also asks. It's asking. Lament is Christian because it knows that God is good and God is able to act. It's asking. Don't let me die. Don't let my enemy say, hey, I've triumphed over this king of Israel, over this believer in the Most High God. Paraphrasing my favorite living theologian, Michael Horton. Look him up. I'm allowed to say it at my seminar. Uh, Michael Scott Horton, Westminster Seminary, California. He's got a paraphrasing quote. He says, if God is sovereign, why pray? That's the objection. If God is sovereign, why pray? Horton's response to that common question is simply, why pray if he isn't? Sometimes we know things are wrong. Sometimes our hearts are sick. Sometimes we're lacking joy. Psalms is written by the Holy Spirit through chosen men, uh, giving us permission to ask, to apply the promises of God and boldly ask him to act. David does this. He says, consider and answer me. It's like knocking. Hey, God, answer me. Come. I got something to say. It's a bold access. He's asking. He says, help me. He says, light up my eyes, right? This is the language of give me life. Give me help. He goes to God who is the source of life and he says, if you don't give me life, I'll be dead. If you don't help me, I'll be done for. I've got nothing to offer here. I need your help. I can't do anything about this situation. I need your comfort.
There's something so bold in what David's doing here. He's, he's, he's saying to the Lord, he says, I belong to you. Therefore, consider me and look after me because otherwise you're going to let a, a wicked man win. Do you want that? That's bold. He doesn't just simply say, God, you own me, and I am yours. Do, what, do with me what you want. He's saying, please spare me for your sake. And so this is why asking boldly is the bit that we easily forget. Have you asked? Have you asked God to act in your situation? I, you know, when I read that, I was stunned. There was just a level of guilt that I had in my own prayers. Where I'm like already lamenting in some sense when I'm sending up complaints to the Lord. And I'm saying I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. I feel down. I feel upset. I feel grief. I'm, I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of my wife crying for hours. Help. It's a help, but that's often not in my prayers. Lamen shows us how to act in a healthy way. And maybe we don't even get immediate relief when we ask. Sometimes God uses our asking to change our hearts, to change our desires, to Sometimes prayer can be used to release our grip on what we thought we needed. And in my case, I'm not speaking for you, sometimes my complaints are frankly ridiculous. And when I vocalize them, I realize that. Not only does lament believe that God can act it, also ask boldly that he would. But it does so because God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. So the final lesson in, lesson in learning to lament is choosing to trust or choosing to praise. Verse 5, it says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See that word but in verse 5? He goes to God. He brings his complaint. He asks God to act and then he says but. He pivots. You know, nowhere in this psalm do we see that David is experiencing any form of immediate relief as he prays. I know that might not be what you wanted to hear, but it's true. But what's happening is the reorienting of his heart upwards. His trusting is expressed in three ways. Firstly, your steadfast love has said is God's covenant faithfulness to his people. 
in the past. God has been faithful in the past, and therefore he trusts that God will be faithful in the present and in the future. And that's how the end of um, Psalm 77 works. It point back to the Exodus. You freed us from slavery in Egypt. You brought us through the Red Sea. You brought us into the Promised Land. You were faithful to us in the past, and now where the situation is dire, I know that you will act. You will be faithful to who you are. Right? That's what Andre Bay said. That God's character will be expressed in his actions. He says, I know that you are good. I want to say this just as a, just as a pastoral aside. So many times I see people, they, 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 they suffer a miscarriage, they lose their job, whatever happens, and they say to me, yeah, but I know God is sovereign. Amen. I know God's sovereign. Amen. Throw my Calvinistic bona fides out the window right now. Right? I'll make you uncomfortable. However, be careful of that just being a pat answer. And I know God's sovereign. God's sovereign means God is in control. I amen, I wholeheartedly affirm that. But do you believe that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, that God is for you? That he is sovereignly faithful? That he is sovereignly good? That he is sovereignly kind? And that in all of that, he orchestrates your circumstances, some of which are not good. Some of you have been abused terribly. I know this just by the sheer number of people here. Some of you have been abused terribly. Nowhere do you have to say that's good. Nowhere. But God in his infinite goodness and his sovereignty will orchestrate his events for your good and his glory in an ultimate sense. So when we say God is sovereign, Don't let it just be attack on. Let it be God is sovereign and faithful and good and loving, and because he's sovereign, he will act. Second way the psalmist expresses trust is he says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. His salvation, he says, ultimately, God's work of redemption through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. It cannot be thwarted. The creation will be made new. There is that hope which gets, as the Bible goes along, the, the dimmer of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ gets brighter and brighter and brighter as we go towards the end. Not that that means pain disappears, but it's so clear that his work cannot be thwarted. So therefore, I will rejoice in his salvation because I know he who promised is faithful. I know that he who began a good work and you shall finish it. I might not feel it right now, but I will rejoice. 
And lastly, he says, I will sing. Singing is an expression of trust. Singing is an expression of faith. David is saying, praise will come from my heart and my mouth because you have been good to me. Lament has been used to orient the psalmist's heart towards God's goodness, and the result of that, he says, I will sing of your praises. Because you are worthy, because you are good, because you are my God, and I will praise your name. You know, I think perhaps what I find interesting in this day and age when Perhaps non-Christians come to our church, and then maybe they get brought along by a friend. You know what I'm noticing lately? Because we don't have a rock concert on a Sunday morning. <laughs> They're expecting the Bible. They're expecting a sermon. The most uncomfortable thing for many of them is the singing. Because since when do a group of people get together and sing when they're not that good at singing? <laughs> There's something distinctly Christian about it. I will sing your praises. I'll say this again. The psalmist is not experiencing immediate relief in prayer at this time but he is orienting his heart towards God. And he is expressing, he is letting out what's there. Right? He points to the past, he points to the future, he's wrestling in the present, and he says, I know you've done this, God, I know you're good, I know you're sovereign, I know you're in control, and I know you will answer. Mark puts it this way, he says, renewed confidence in God's trustworthiness is the destination of all laments. Turning, complaining, and asking lead here. So when we say, perhaps one of my favorite uh, verses in all of scripture, which is the verse you bristle at when you don't understand it, it's James 1, it says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of, trials of various kinds. You know, I recently baptized someone who really came to faith after hearing a message preached on that. I'm like, oh, I get it. Count it all joy when you meet, face trials of various kinds. It says it can seem cruel, it can seem miscontrolled. It's like a count it all joy, just grin and bear it. Put a smile on your face. No. Well, lament helps us to see that there can be praise through hard times. And that when we're counting it all joy, we're trusting that God. That's why joy means that we're internally gladdened and enlightened by the fact that our hope is outside of us. Count it all joy. My circumstances are horrible. God is good and he is for me. In Christ. Joy. Psalm 13 begins with why and it ends with a God who is and a God who is trustworthy. And it ends with 
what God will do. He is the God who will save me and who will who has dealt bountifully with me and will continue to be good for me. You know, the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes against the backdrop of darkness of sin. Right? There's a Paul says the creation groans. You feel that? The creation groans. It's not just talking about me on a cold winter morning getting out of bed. The creation groans. The scripture does not hide the fact that there is an acknowledgement that something badly wrong has gone on in this world. And that we have ourselves joined and run our own hellbound race against God's law. The fall is real, the curse of sin is real, our alienation from God is, is real. And we see in the gospel something of lament. The night before Jesus died, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Drops of blood fell from his his brow in agony. Christ said, let this cup pass from me. The plan of God, the wrath of God was in that cup. And this all culminated the next day as Christ drank that cup and he went to the cross. The greatest injustice against a human being in the history of this world took place 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem. The only truly innocent person. And the forces of darkness combined against him. Yes, according to the sovereign plan of God. But in a moment they thought that they were victorious over the plan of God. And as Jesus hung upon the cross, Suffocating under his, his own weight, his, his bones out of joint, not broken. How do we know that? Psalm 22. Cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree, Deuteronomy says. As this is being accomplished, as Jesus bears all our sin and our shame, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. A lament. Jesus prayed a prayer of lament upon the cross. As the God-man, he had the experience of abandonment. Fellowship seemed broken, that God was far off. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did then sleep the sleep of death. But the Lord lit up his eyes 
And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him, he was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus asked boldly. Jesus turned to God, brought his complaint, asked boldly, and he was heard. And because of him, there was redemption. Because Jesus lamented, and in Christ, there was one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are now able to lament and boldly approach the throne of grace. Jesus lamented, and so we too can lament. So lament gives us a pathway for our pain. We don't need to suppress it. We don't need to stifle it. We don't need to stay silent. And sometimes we can help one another to lament. I know sometimes some people experience grief in such a way that they don't want to say anything. They don't want to pray. They don't even want to let out the complaint. Come alongside. Point to the cross and say, come, speak. Lament can therefore be a, a lit- liturgy of worship. Expressing your pain to God is a way of worshiping him. That's fascinating, is it not? Does anyone have any questions or anything they want to Anyone? Anyone want to call me a heretic? It's happened. <laughs> no? Any, any comments? I'll let you preach. Take my place next year. Thank you. Yeah. That's a question then. Um, this one goes through as painful. But there's one to others that really focuses, we, it really lets his anger out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and he is saying some stuff like, you know, God, you know, bring that person to calamity, really. Mm. Um, I guess I note that he doesn't stop there. He does come yep. to probably the same point. And um, yeah, I was working through one couple of those uh, psalms recently, and I was pretty quite uh, desiring to stop <laughs> on the you know, letting out retribution. Maybe mm. you can comment uh, on why we should. Why we shouldn't? Why we shouldn't stop on, um, you know, on basically me being the judge, you know. So if I stopped halfway through that psalm, mm-hmm. uh, I'd be sitting there going, "God called them, you know, or punished them," and I'm not sure that that's my role mm-hmm. for me to be the judge. Uh, so perhaps you could comment on that. Maybe you can. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. So we need to be very careful of um, weighing providences and determining what's coming from God's hand and how and for what reason. And we need to be very careful of that. Um, does anyone have any answers to that question? 
There's some wise people in this room more than me. What would you say to this brother? I guess one thing I learned as a young Christian was to pray honestly. Yeah. Like if you feel that, I mean, God knows it anyway. He knows our heart. And sometimes it's good for us to, you know, acknowledging who we're praying to. Yeah. Like you say, don't stop at that anger. Mm. But to express it and then, like you've shared, to, to move on to the but. Come back to who God is and his character. But I think it's really important that, you know, we don't want to just have a pious prayer. If you're feeling something, I mean, God's not free yeah. if we have a tenty with him. I think if we are angry, it's, we need to acknowledge who we're praying to. Yeah. But we've got to be honest. We've got to be real with the Lord. I mean, he knows what's in our heart anyway. And as long as there's that but, I think, we're able in trust and faith to come mm. back and acknowledge that he is the king and his character is good and he loves us. Yeah. There's something about the fact that in the immediate turning to God, you're believing something about him, even if you're not expressing it. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, want, do you want to say some more, brother? Any more of the question? Just like, yeah, I mean, I want this to be helpful. You know, it was, it was um, I mean, for me, yeah, my brother had gone about it. He said, don't stop there. Yeah. Just don't stop there. Because I was, yeah, God, I'm smashed. Well, no, I mean, actually, and, 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 uh, and it was quite good. And then to, uh, to actually camp on forgiveness. Yeah. It was where I had to be. Uh, so, I mean, one, one of the ways to lament, right? So yeah. it can hurt you. You know, you know, like you've got to, you've got a process laid out here. It doesn't mean it's clean. It just, you know, it doesn't mean it's clean, man. So I'm just, I'm staring into the dark depths of my head right now while I'm doing this. You know, I kind of like keep it out of the way, but you know, it doesn't mean it's clean. It just. It can be, you know, we get there and bashing against the wall and then we going, all right, send it up, send it up. Let's, let's have some good, let's have some. I know you can deal with this. You know, say that. Get someone, and here's the thing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And sometimes people can bring the word of God and do it in an unhelpful way. I'm just like almost wondering, like sometimes you just like grab the Bible and says, can you just read this to me and tell me it's true so I can pray this? It would be interesting to think about what our attitude would be to um, Saul when he was raging against the people of God, maybe a month before the Damascus Road, and how we might be asking the Lord to, uh, you know, I'm just like, it's just kind of clicked for me, right? Can you imagine you've got David running from Saul and he has the opportunity to kill Saul and he doesn't? 
Can you imagine he's praying that prayer that we've just heard, Psalm 13? And that might be the means of grace to stop David from grabbing a knife and stabbing his enemy. And he says, I trust the Lord will save me. I mean, amazing. What else? Yes? Amen. I'm going to leave that there. I'm a guest here. Um, amen. We should, we should, like, you know, next week, Sunday, pastoral prayer. Those of you that are elders and pastors and prayers and got a byline, grieve it. Grieve some of the directions. Grieve the horrible value, lack of value that we put upon image bearers from the womb all the way through. Grieve it. Lament it. Ask God to help because he prays, promised he will. There will be a new creation. Amen. What else? Anything? Yeah. David forgave a few people, but he didn't mind getting Solomon to kill the guy that chucked stones at him. And, uh, no, he wasn't. He did kill his enemy. Yeah. Amen. Any comments about that? Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. I think one of you, well, thank you for sharing this. Um, the word fuck there is probably quite potent, the turning point. Uh, my, my testimony is years of dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. And I've had to learn, obviously, the truths and looking to God. And my, my concern over the years has always been that we don't live the victory of our salvation. And that doesn't shine out too much out of a lot of, a lot of church folk. Um, and I, I think that but has got to be such an important thing that mm. we don't camp ourselves in the lamenting. Or I mean, I, it's not someone that really shares a lot of emotion, but the, so this has been good to reflect on lamenting because I would have seen it as weakening in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I had to pull my socks up and deal with truth of who God was, truth of the scriptures say about who we are in God to be able to be victorious over depression and um, yeah I just love to see Christians living in victory because I think not not fake but faith I suppose and it's so important that you know no one's going to I did a communion message years ago where I said why on earth would they want what you've got because mm. if we walk around looking like stuck lemons um, then why would someone want the good God that 
Absolutely. I mean, you can have you can, you can have joy through tears. You know, at the at the same time. I do. I I want I want to impress something though. Part of having an honest biblical assessment of salvation is recognizing what the fullness of salvation looks like and still being able to recognize where we are and say we're not there yet. It's already what you're saying and then they're still not yet. And I've, I've met tons of Christians. Let's take depression out of it. So many struggle. Chronic pain. You know, the joy of my salvation has much to say to chronic pain. We're just constantly, every day, struggling. It doesn't take it away, necessarily. Sometimes, so sometimes, like sometimes, yes, we shy away from the Bible when it comes to counseling, and that's sinful and wrong, and we shouldn't do that because we're just not bringing truth to bear. But then other times, it's just like, it's just hard. And shit there. And so we, we can acknowledge we're not there yet. I got a little rant hiding if we want, we've got some time. You going to say, Matt? Um, yeah, I was just thinking, like, you mentioned some AA yeah. which yeah. doesn't really have that fourth step, that but turning point kind of thing. What, so what do you do with, with that one? The Psalm, the Psalm 88 has got nothing positive. There's no sort of positive sort of... It's the saddest psalm in the Bible. All right, all right. All right, we'll read it, okay? We'll read it, we'll talk about it, okay? What else? Anything else? We'll, we'll do that. Victor! Church planter! Can I just come over here, brother? I'm just very deaf. Resolution. It's the it's the sending. So I'm like I'm a big believer in lament. If I'm doing a seminar on it, but at the same time I'm not making it everything because it's like, what is the lament? The lament is the turning and bringing the complaints to God and trusting in Him. That's it. Yeah, I've and, seen a whole lot of people who uh, they counsel you real quick. Yeah. They're, they're allowed people that there's still stuff they're dealing with, but they're real quick. They could not just. God, praise him. Look what he's done. And yet they stay here. Dealt with that. Whatever they're going through. I think it's just understanding that the time frame is different for everyone. God's still going to do the work in their hearts. 
Can I just say that right now I'm incredibly grateful that you're a church leader in the Horse Bay. God bless you, brother. Amen. <laughs> Listen to that, man. Anything else? Evangelistic lament. <laughs> Amen. I like that. Maybe you can write that book. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's put it this way. In the context of relationship, in the context of not doing things flippantly and quickly, like Victor said, How long, oh Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? That friend, a hypothetical friend, is not a Christian. You can say to them, you feel this. You know this. You feel alienated. You feel apart from God. You feel alone. You feel in grief. Psalm 22. Know the one who suffered. Christ. And you f feel these things. In that verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 13 are talking about a God who has steadfast love, a God who is worthy of rejoicing, and a God who saves. The Lord, Yahweh, the, the, the covenant good God who saves his people. The God who has dealt bountifully with me. You can say that. Bountifully. He's been good to me. He's just he's poured out blessings even amidst my pain. And the greatest blessing of all is that the root cause of your pain goes back to Genesis 3. He is sent one to triumph over sin, to remove our alienation from God to grant us his righteousness and who has conquered sin, Satan, death, and hell and will bring about the fullness of a kingdom where he will wipe away every tear and sorrow will be no more. And you say, that's my God. Believe in him. Evangelistic lament. It's yours now. I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving it to you. Anything else? Yes. Is it okay to be angry with God? And if so, what does that Barry, can you bail me out, brother? is one of our elders. I love him to death, and he's much better at these things than me. We should pay him, not me. 
Does anyone have a good answer before I open my mouth? <laughs> Chantel? Judging him of wrongdoing, and to judge him of wrongdoing is to accuse him of something that is the opposite of his character, because he never does anything wrong. And when Job did that, God put him in his place. God is innocent, pure, good. He acts according to his purposes. You trust in him, he'll forgive you for being angry at him. And Lord willing, as you see, and those feelings will disappear with time. There's a level of renewing your mind. That's not my first word for people in grief and expressing that. There's, but there's a level of renewing your mind in the word where you lead away from that. But I'm not going to jump on someone as the first thing. God's big enough. here, I shouldn't use family's illustrations, um, but it's my wife, you know, you know, I, I, she, she's been open about this, and, she, um, you know, like, there was definitely a time where, you know, where we buried our baby, and afterwards she was like, I'm angry at God, and her prayer was in many ways, God, I'm angry at you, please help me, please forgive me. I won't for a second think that he didn't hear that prayer. And it wasn't in some ways pleasing to him. I don't think she should feel guilty for offering that. She was like, forgive me for being angry at you, but I am. This is what I'm feeling. You know, the Bible doesn't remove our emotions. You know. More hands going up, yes? Um, it's just regarding the anger and so on. Um, I think the 
jokes and those because it is a it is a linear challenge, it's a very long journey. And one of the things that God says at the end is to the friends, because they said all the religious right things, you know. But he said he was God said he was angry with the friends because they did not speak the truth about me as my servant Job has. Yeah. Through all of that, yeah. that Job spoke, pouring out, you know, declaring his innocence and all that. God's, God at the end says, you spoke the truth about me. And and I think, yeah, God is big enough for our anger. Mm. And, and he's big enough for the process. Yeah. You know, and through that, through that process, Job was driven to deeper truths about God, really. You know, he was pushed to the wall and in the midst of his sort of pain and crying out, you know, God revealed amazing things to him, like there's declarations of um, my Redeemer is, you know, standing at the right hand of God and things like that. It's like, this is thousands of years before Christ, yeah. yet in the midst of that pain, God revealed the one who has the power of death is the devil Jesus Christ was revealed to crush him to crush the serpent's head Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will come to crush him. And his death and the pain and all that is wrong, he will do it. The Old Testament saints understood that with greater clarity towards the end. And then the day dawns, he says, here's my beloved son. Anything else? Anything else? This is good. Yes. Bring on what? Uh, is there any situation as believers where our prayers to the Lord are hindered? Is that possible? And if so, uh, what, uh, prayers are what, say? Prayers are what, say? Are hindered? Hindered. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, what's it? 1 Peter 3, 21. Husbands live with your wives as... Um, <laughs> in an understanding way, lest you with her as a weaker vassal, lest your prayers be not hindered. Is that what you're asking? I mean, that's a, that's a scripture verse. Yeah, I guess because there is that verse in which there is a specific situation where prayers are hindered, and that's where they are. Totally, totally. Totally. I will say this, like, that verse is saying you're a believer in Christ, you're a claiming to be a blood-bought man of God and you're mistreating your spouse, your prayers are like dung for a moment. Um, I don't, you know, sort of, I wouldn't suggest that I understand exactly how that works. But I think what's happening in that moment is God's not interested in your petitions and your requests. He's interested in your repentance. 
and to stop mistreating this gift of God, which is your wife. And so that, uh, that kind of in there, I, I would say that in all of this, there is a level of confession of sin and daily belief in the gospel. My prayers are acceptable to the Lord as a fragrant offering because Jesus Christ washes them by his blood. And so, my best prayers require on the way up covering and cleansing to the Lord. And he will do that. And so we are to repent of our sins and believe the gospel and continually trust in him and therefore use that access. And so our prayers will not be hindered as we do that. Okay. I don't know. Is, is it lunchtime? I don't know. Is it 1 o'clock? 12.30? Hmm? Okay. Anything else? I'm going to read Psalm 88. Okay. So Matt over here mentioned Psalm 88, which is in some senses a psalm of uh, lament, and it seems to have no good ending at all. The darkest chapter of Scripture. Let's read it. A song, a psalms of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath, Linath, Amasco of Heman, the Ezraite. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I am shut in so I cannot escape. My eyes go dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in a burden? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. 
You surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. It's the word of the Lord. Wow. My companions have become darkness. My friends in darkness. I've no friends bring light. I've no friends bring goodness. My companions have become darkness. This is called perhaps the saddest psalm in the Bible, the saddest chapter. And in many ways, it's describing a, a, a really dark night of the soul. It's an expression uh, to the Lord. And in some ways, we can say it's one that is searching for that last point of trust. But there is a level of trust in there. And I can't help but think, as I read Psalm 88, that the psalmist had some inkling of God's willingness to act. And so I would say to you, as you read Psalm 88, look at the questions. Look at the questions, look at this problem, and see how the good news of Jesus Christ and the, the work of Christ, the historical work of Christ is dealt with these problems. Look, at, look here. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed, that's the dead, rise up to praise you? the death and resurrection of Christ. Does God work wonders from the dead? Amen. He does, and he has, and he will. That's why Acts 2 is quoting Psalm 16, which is speaking about very similar language to here, and it's saying, yes, this Christ is now risen, incorruptible. God has worked wonders from the dead. Sheol could not contain him. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Is God's steadfast love declared in the grave? Was God's steadfast love declared in the grave 2,000 years ago? Yes. Christ who died as a ransom for sinners, for you. It was the love of God that put him there. Is your faithfulness seen in abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Jesus Christ, friends, his soul was full of troubles. Jesus Christ, friends, abandoned him at that cross. And God showed his wonders from the grave in raising from him from the dead so that the one who is experiencing and praying Psalm 88 can have a hope. O oh Lord, I cry to you in the Lord. My prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Well, there's the answer to that question. And that answer is the glory of the Lord shining upon us, the face, the countenance of God, the smile of God shining down on those who trust in Christ 
in the face of Jesus Christ, we find the face of God shining upon us. And there is salvation in that struggle. Psalm 88, as a lament, yes, it's missing that last bit. But I would tell you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so on, and especially the end of the book of Revelation, give us the answer, give us that bookend to the trusting of God in the pain that we read about in Psalm 88. That's my answer to that. Amen. What I want to do is 12 minutes to lunch. I want some of you, if maybe you feel the, the need to do this, to open up Psalm 13, to read through it one more time, and to right now practice quietly or out loud. We're not going to go full charismatic here. Yeah? And you can... And you can let that lament up to the Lord. Read it, remember, and do that prayer now. And then go home and continually practice. You're allowed to. You know, sometimes in our, our pain and in our doubt, we, we feel like that's the, our doubts, we feel like that's the opposite of faith. Right? It's not. It's not. You know what the opposite of faith is? Pride. Pride is the opposite of faith. Pride says, I will not pray. I will not go there. I will look to myself instead of turning from us and say, yeah, you help. Okay, let me pray for you all. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you for your abundant goodness. We thank you for the gift of your Son. And Lord, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort uh, your people, comfort them with truth, comfort them with the work of the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord, our prophet, priest, and king, and watches over us, who cares for us, and who will bring about the fullness of this new creation. Might we hope in this, might we trust in him, and Lord, I pray, and we pray, that lament would be used to know more of you, and to worship you, and to see you work in all of our painful and grievous situations. We are only able to do this as Christians because of Christ who lamented long before us. In Jesus' name.